And wouldn't you like to call into something in a different country or a different state and be able to yell at someone you don't know about a topic you might not understand? Yes, I would. Yep. And that's the way you Even better if it's in a hastily thrown together format, too. Yep. Well, uh, worst case scenario, you make your own damn podcast and then I can see whatever I like. And that's how you do it. You're listening to episode 27 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline in a hastily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by Scheduling Issues. I'm Carlos Alcazar, and not with me, as always, is Dave Turnbull. Dave is actually off uh, taking care of a newborn child, so congratulations to Dave on his uh, new addition to his family. As far as that's concerned, though, that meant that there wasn't going to be the regular format of podcast that you may be accustomed to, but... Not to leave you high and dry, we are recording a little bit later. I'm actually recording on a Sunday early morning. I do have some content for you that I'm going to talk about a couple of handful of uh, small news and notes, as usual. But also, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that we did record previously a discussion on radio and sports, specifically sports radio and the way that the different sports relate to radio, focusing mainly on baseball because that's kind of the bread and butter. And really, baseball uh, benefited as much as any other sport from the business of radio in the early days. Talking a little bit about that uh, standpoint worked out because I'm someone who listened to a lot of radio that slowly got kind of weaned off of it, and I refer- and we referenced this in the conversation. The conversation is not 100% evergreen because we do make reference to the Kawhi Leonard uh, free agent sweepstakes because the conversation was recorded maybe a little over a month and a half ago. And at the time, the Kawhi Leonard thing... Kawhi hadn't made up his mind where he was going to go, so that was still an open question. But we don't make too many references to it, but I I do warn you in advance when we get to it. I'm going to talk about a handful of news and notes here a little bit. Mainly, it's just going to be high, broad examples of it. So the first one is going to be Antonio Brown looks like he's tracking towards actually playing for the team that he's getting paid for, which is a novel concept, if anything else. One thing you can remember from last week's episode is that I did enjoy making fun of the whole Antonio Brown sweepstakes. At, sorry, shouldn't say uh, the shenanigans of Antonio Brown. But I did have a little bit of time to think about it. And as we get closer to Antonio Brown actually potentially playing and the whole helmet controversy being over with, now that I think about it a little bit more, I'm kind of wondering, uh, I've got my conspiratorial hat on. And I'm remembering that the Oakland Raiders are the team that's going to be on hard knocks this season. So I'm kind of wondering now, is it really beyond the capability of Antonio Brown to stage all this with the producers just to get some content for Hard Knocks? I guess it would really depend on how much coverage Hard Knock gives to this story, but I would be very interested to see if that doesn't somehow play into the season. I kind of, uh, I usually can't catch the all or nothing specials that are done by Amazon because I really like the way they're done. I generally don't watch the Hard Knocks ones, to be completely honest with you. But now that I think about it from that perspective... I'm wondering if maybe it'd be worthwhile me checking out because I'd be curious to see what kind of treatment the whole controversy with Antonio Brown getting basically freezer burn on his foot from being sloppy with a cryotherapy treatment and then also the thing with the the whole nonsense with the helmets and threatening to retire and all those things. I'm wondering what kind of treatment Hard Knocks gives to it and if that has any, any impact at all on the way that the show portrays Antonio Brown, because I can't imagine Antonio Brown not being a major character on the season of Hard Knocks. That's just my opinion, but that's some, me throwing something out there just for, for your thoughts as well. A second item that I'm looking at is uh, Cody Bellinger and Mike Trout kind of going neck and neck right now. So they're both kind of tied at 41 home runs in Major League Baseball. I like it from the standpoint that I always enjoy little home run races. 
I will in subsequent episodes, so maybe even as soon as next week, I want to talk a little bit more about Mike Trout because Mike Trout is an interesting thing for me. And I'll give you kind of the layout of my, of my thought process of Mike Trout. I like Mike Trout's game. I think he's a great player. I struggle, though, with the historical implications of the way that Mike Trout is portrayed today. And I keep looking at comparisons made. And I actually listened to a podcast. Uh, I'll try to reference it in the in the... In either in the YouTube channel, if I put, I'll put it in the description if I can. I'll try to find it for you. Or I'll try to find a link somewhere that I can put into the notes for the episode. And if I can, I'll mention it. And it's, and it's, not, it's not someone who's like a quote-unquote baseball expert, but it's a baseball fan trying to make a comparison. And they were drawing a comparison to Babe Ruth, which I understood, but at the same time, I could easily debunk because there are certain mitigating factors comparing Ruth to Mike Trout, especially given that the early part of uh, Babe Ruth's career, he was a pitcher predominantly, also in the dead ball era. So any comparisons to him and Trout are very difficult to make at the best of times, mainly because by the time Ruth became a full-time player, his his numbers are dominant. Whereas Mike Trout's numbers are interesting because they're very good and very consistent, but the spectacularness of them simply comes from the consistency. It's not so much that the number jumps off the page. And one of the comparisons that I've seen to him is that some people like to compare him to a, like a modern day Mickey Mantle. And I could understand that from the perspective of as a five tool player, because he's also a great fielder. So that aspect of his game is also there, but then Again, mitigating circumstances. The comparison to Mickey Mantle. Well, Mickey Mantle wasn't Mickey Mantle to the full degree that people think of it. Because if you go back in history, in I believe it was the 1951 World Series, and you can certainly fact check me, but I believe it was the 51 World Series, he injured his leg on basically a drain on trying to make a play. And as a result, it it caused him to incur one of what would become a litany of injuries, which would uh, hinder him throughout his Major League Baseball career because he was basically washed up at a 34 or 33, and his career was almost basically over at that point, even though he was, he was a great player for a long time. And you can imagine, given that speed was one of the aspects of his game that was a, a hallmark of a young Mickey Mantle, Imagine that by 1951, even though his entire career was in front of him, he didn't retire until, I think, spring training of 1969. So despite that fact, that young Mickey Mantle, he missed out on all kinds of... um, all kinds of opportunities to fully exploit his talent. And even as it was, he became an all-time great, but he still missed out on all kinds of potential opportunities that came if he had been able to have his full speed and potentially his full power, even though he had tons of power and tons of speed and great fielding ability and all those tools that you talk about when you talk about a five-tool player, well, he was still a hindered version of himself even in the early part of his career. And then we're comparing a Mike Trout, a health, relatively healthy Mike Trout to that. It isn't interesting. It's, I struggle with it because I feel like I can find comparable players who can show much more dominant numbers. Now, mind you, I am focusing predominantly on the hitting aspect of it, so we do have to factor in the fielding part of it. I don't want to go into the whole argument of it right now, but that is something that I kind of want to consider a little bit more in my own head and come back to you with. So that'll be a topic for another day. But as far as the Bellinger and Trout thing, I love a home run race, anything that involves it. But I don't want to get too excited about it because realistically, we're in mid-August. You know, even as we're talking now, we're in the dog days of summer now, headed into late August, early September, and then in September gets it. Now, both of these guys are perfectly capable of putting up enough numbers to make it interesting. For me, if you want to see, you know, starting to challenge, for me, the, the real number 
isn't 73 home runs. The real number is anything close to 60. If you get to 60, when Giancarlo Stanton got to 59 home runs, to me, that was an all-time great season because the 73 home runs, the 70 home runs of Mark McGuire, you know, the 60-plus home runs of Sammy Sosa, all of those were steroid-fueled. You knew that they were they were knocking out home runs at a rate that was unsustainable by anyone who was doing it legitimately. But the 59 home runs by Giancarlo Stanton, now you can argue about Giancarlo Stanton because he is built like a Greek god. It was ridiculous when he was doing it. But that was the first season he was actually able to put together a healthy season. It was a combination of health plus him knocking the ball out at a prodigious rate. Those 55-plus home run seasons don't grow on trees. They happen from time to time, but somebody legitimately challenging 60 home runs is still a relatively rare occurrence outside of that little window in the late 90s and early 2000s when uh, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were doing it with regularity and nobody else was. Oh, and then, of course, Barry Bonds himself. But that's just food for thought. For Realistically, for Bellinger and Trout, I'll be really interested to see if the two guys reach 50 home runs and they're neck and neck towards the end of the season, I think that would be really great. As far as Trout's argument for being in that Mickey Mantle all-time great echelon, I'd love to see him get to 50 home runs because that would be, you know, the first real, uh, you know, he's a multi-time MVP, but that would be like the first season that would stand up to that all-time historical level for an individual season. Because when I go back to that Mickey Mantle example, by the time Mickey Mantle was Trout's age, he had already had that, you know, 50 home run, 130 RBI, you know, 300 batting average, a triple crown season in 1956. Having that season is huge. And also he was a he was a many-time World Series champion with the New York Yankees. So I'm not going to pin that on Trout because that's a team accomplishment. But having that one signature season, as great as Trout has been and as consistently great as he has been, I'm not sure what his signature season is yet. Now, we could probably figure it out. We can break down the numbers. And I, like I said, I want to revisit this conversation a little later. But when we do, what I'm going to be looking for, and I'll tell you in advance, is I'm going to be looking for that signature season. I'm going to be trying to figure out what is the season that Mike Trout, quote-unquote, arrived? When did he hit that plateau where you knew this guy is not just a great player, but he's a transcendent star? Because when you're talking about all-timers, you're talking about transcendent. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for great. We're not even looking for very, very good. We're not looking for consistently good or consistently great. We're looking for transcendent. Even if the transcendence only lasts a little period of time, that little extra is what pushes you into that upper tier, that Mount Rushmore category. And a lot of people seem really willing to move Trout into that category. And I, I maybe I'm cynical, but I haven't seen that. But maybe I will. So this could be potentially that season. And we'll, we'll see how that plays out. So it's something interesting to consider. One last note here from a local flavor from the Toronto area. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. left the game early uh, with a little bit of, I guess, knee weakness or something that he's going to have an MRI on. I think it's much ado about nothing for now because uh, right now this season has been kind of a wash for the Toronto Blue Jays anyway. They're 30 and a half games out. Realistically, they're not, you know, they were never in contention this season. And this season was more than anything getting those guys reps at the major league level. Bo Bichette has come into his own a little bit, and they've done very well with a lot of the rookies. My concern is less about their offensive ability and more about their... Not so much defensive as much as pitching. I just don't know if, even if all these hitters turn out to meet the potential that it looks like they may have, I don't know if they actually have the pitching to be able to compete. So it's not like, oh, well, you know, 2019 is a wash. Watch out in 2020. I don't know if they're going to be competitive in 2020. I don't know if they're going to be competitive in 2021. I, not, I don't see the path 
to competitiveness right now. I feel like the other teams in the American League East are going to continue shifting around and finding ways to get better. The Yankees and the Red Sox are the Yankees and the Red Sox. I just don't know. I've never seen the Blue Jays be particularly good at building that kind of the team through strictly young players. Historically, they've always found ways to get some veterans and some players from other teams that other, that maybe they didn't put enough stock in, and the Jays were able to see something in them. They were able to pull them out of the scrap heap. You know, you can argue about the relative talents, but Jose Bautista was not a Toronto Blue Jays draft pick. Josh Donaldson was not a Toronto Blue Jays draft pick. These players came from other places, and they were the Jays were able to identify them, get them in when the value was relatively low, and then get that yield. You know, Edwin Encarnacion did not start off as a Toronto Blue Jay. All these players who did very well during the Jays' brief playoff window back in 2015 and 2016, none of them were drafted by the Blue Jays. Looking at draft picks as the be-all and end-all solution, it doesn't matter how many children of uh, great players of the past, you know, the Biggios, the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors, and the Bo Bichettes, you know, taking great players uh, offspring is, is is a good way of um, of getting name recognition. But at the same time, and even if they're capable of meeting those kind of uh, high, lofty uh, those kind of lofty expectations, I, I, I can you can you get one of the Clemens kids? Can you can you find you know does Pedro Martinez have a kid who can pitch? Like I, I need somebody who can go to the mound and actually uh, and actually produce some kind of. Um, defense of the team basically somebody who can you can have as a workhorse out there every fifth day that can become an ace of the staff and right now i don't know if they have anybody that meets that criteria that's what would concern me from the blue jay standpoint with all that said i'm going to intro the main topic of the day which is radio in sports and kind of its role and where we think it is in the world of sports david myself recorded this about six or seven weeks ago so i still think there's some relevance to it it was originally going to be sent out as a unnecessary nonsense podcast extra but uh, the editing didn't come together in time. Fortunately, given that this week we were a little bit truncated and weren't able to get a regular show together, perfect timing to bring this up and to bring it back. So hopefully you can enjoy. And we, as usual, we'd love to hear any feedback or any thoughts you have on the topic. Tell us how wrong we are or tell us how right we are. And before I go, I'll give you quickly the shameless plugs that I won't include at the end. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, but also a copy of this podcast, archived versions of it, including sometimes Unnecessary Nonsense podcast extras, where a big topic comes up, can be found on YouTube at Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Just type that in, and also there'll be a link included in the show notes where you can go in there and check it out. Subscribe if you can, and we'd love to hear any feedback you have on that as well. So here's the conversation about radio and sports with Dave and myself. So let's talk about radio and sports because you did segue into it nicely. Let's bring it back. The reason why we brought up this particular topic as kind of a potential to have a little bit of a discussion on is because I'm interested in the general idea of it and it's a tricky conversation because obviously sports radio is still a thing but it's not what it once was because now we're in a very much multimedia environment and it's changed a lot because now you can take the radio... Uh, the radio feeling of it, and you can bring it into, because you can do live casts. You can do, like, even using the uh, Bob McCowan Sportsnet 590 example, they simulcast it on Sportsnet as well. So basically, you could watch Bob McCowan talking to people on the radio. It would be the same as, as me recording, basically, the, uh, the video of Dave and myself talking in front of microphones. That's basically what you're looking at. There's really nothing else going on behind them or around them. You know, you can put overlays on the screen, but really what you're doing is watching a radio show. Now, obviously, some people like to do that, and I think it works for putting it in the background, but you can do that through that medium. 
You can put it on YouTube. You could put it on Twitch, potentially, because I know Twitch is loosened definition because I know you can do streams for a lot of interesting stuff. So imagine if you took the same format idea, removed a lot of the extra uh, commercials from it, took advantage of Twitch's features for putting ads in there, and then used that as a medium to accomplish the same task. You could have a live broadcast. You could have a call-in element, which is a staple of sports radio. You could have that. You know, through Skype, you can do it in a variety of ways. You can have people have access to the show and then be able to do the commentary. And then you can watch the person talking that you're listening to, talking to you, in effect, as an audience member. It changes the dynamic a bit, but it adds an interactive element. But the bread and butter of radio, because if you think about radio, radio didn't really take off until about the 1920s, give or take. But then when it became a big thing for a long time, that was the way you consumed sports. And I think no other sport benefited from this more than baseball, I would say, as far as sports, you know, being translated into a medium. Obviously, football became the biggest beneficiary of video as far as becoming bigger. But I think baseball was the big winner of the era of ra- of sports radio. So I think we can take this in a couple of pieces. Why don't we talk about the actual sport itself first, and then maybe a little bit about sports radio. So do you have any thoughts about just the sports that have benefited the most from radio or kind of where they stand today? Well, apparently? I, you know, I think here's the thing. Baseball, as you said, I think is the greatest beneficiary of this because it's the easiest sport to describe. Well, and I think partly it's because the slower pace works, right? So the, the pace of baseball works for radio. If you know the game, you understand the game. It's, it's the same dimensions in terms of a 90-foot diamond. I realize that the outfields are all different or some parks have more foul territory than the others, et cetera. But you're making a point that I'm going to allude to in a second, but keep going. Okay. But you, you can visualize it. You've seen it, especially if you're, if you're following a team where you've been to the stadium. So if let's say, for example, you're a Blue Jays fan and you've been to a bunch of games at the, at the Skydome. That's right. I said that, not Roger Center. Uh, and you've been to a bunch of games there. You know the stadium. You listen on the radio. You can visualize that pretty well in your own mind. And, and you know, I know they talk about, you know, stories from the game or past games on TV just as probably just as much, maybe not quite as much as they do on radio, but they do talk about it on TV as well. But it just sort of sends it. The pace of it just seems to work, right? And I don't think it, it sounds any worse. Well, it certainly doesn't sound any worse than it did, did like 30, 40, 50, 100, well, not quite a hundred, but like, you know, 80 years ago, right. Is that the ability for someone who's broadcasting the game to keep people engaged in a baseball game is, is still there. So, you know, I, I purposely did not buy the MLB.TV package. I don't have it. I have the MLB app and I pay for the radio. And And it has nothing to do with the fact that it's less expensive. No, this one has nothing to do with that. And you know what? Honestly, let's say they were the same price. Let's say the radio... I mean, if the radio was that much more, I'd probably buy the TV. Let's be real. But if they were comparable price, I'd probably still buy the radio. Because there's a there's a different level of engagement, I feel, if you're watching a program versus if you're just listening to it. So if you're watching it, you got to watch it, right? You got to see it. You got to be in it. And that's that takes more of you. Whereas... If I want to listen to something to kind of fall asleep to, I could put on a radio game. It's there. If I just want to, you know what? I just did some really physically exhausting activity and I want to take a break. 
I'll lie down and I'll listen to something. Now, here's another thing. This is a totally me thing, but I wear glasses, right? So sometimes I don't lie down with my glasses on a pillow, right? Usually, uh, you know, because it's just weird when you're lying on the side, glasses pushing in the side of your face. You might be breaking your glasses or make, weakening them. Uh, but if I take off my glasses, I can't see the TV. So I can't lie down and watch TV without my glasses on. But I can very easily lie down and listen to the radio. And so I just think, for especially for baseball, there's some sort of magical quality about it. Uh, I don't think it works the same way in, in other sports. So, for example, even a sport like, say, soccer, a.k.a. Pretentious Cross Country Running, uh, which, you know, I have heard a few games. They used to do um, Premier League broadcasts, English Premier League broadcasts on TSN radio here in the Toronto area. Uh, I still do sometimes listen to BBC broadcasts over satellite radio. And TFC, well, I will occasionally have the radio broadcast for that. But I sometimes will, I, I will find... Inter- I will interject briefly before we get too deep into pretentious cross-country running radio. But no, the thing is, I think you're alluded to two points, two points here. One, the pacing of baseball plays well with radio. It helps. And then the, a good radio announcer can also fill in some of the natural ebbs and flows of the games with stories. Right. With so, stories. yes. Can I just, uh, just let me quickly say the soccer As long point, as it's not too deep on the soccer. It isn't. It isn't. So the point is that that's the kind of game where people are moving, even though the, the field is the same dimensions everywhere and you, you can visualize the soccer pitch very easily. The movement is so quick and so much and a ball being crossed here or a person running. It's harder to visualize because so much movement is happening. Whereas baseball, you know, you have a fly ball hit to the left fielder. There's not a ton of movement in there. I mean, you can visualize that. It's it's very like, here's what's happening. And you can do that. Whereas a sport like even basketball per se, it's harder to have that visual in your own mind while you're listening to something. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. And the thing is, you you just alluded to the other to my second point there is that the game of baseball, because the positions are generally put into certain areas, even if you have never been to the park, which was the experience of a lot of baseball fans, if they would listen to a radio game of of a stadium they've never been to off in another state elsewhere and they weren't anywhere anywhere close to it, if I say right center field, you kind of know what right center field is, whether you have the specific dimensions in front of you, you can more or less visualize it. If I say a ball's hit hard to third base, you know more or less where third base is. You know where yes. second base is. You know where first base is. There are quadrants within the field of baseball that are predefined. So if you've seen a game before, you can visualize more or less. You won't be able to get it down to the foot. You won't know exactly where in deep right center field it is. But you can say it got to the warning track. You can, you can kind of do certain cues that'll tell somebody. If you try to do it in soccer, it's like, okay, on the right side of the field, in the north quadrant. Like, can you be more specific? It's a fairly large field. Can you can you narrow it down for me a little bit? That's kind of hard to do. Basketball, you can't really do it. Football helps because you can have yard markers. So you can sort of kind of help along a little bit because you've got all these markers to give you kind of an idea which side of the field you're on, how close you are to the end zone. So football can play a little bit just because the field is structured enough to be able to give you a little bit to work with. You can say he threw it down the right side and, you know, he, you know to the 30, the 20, the 10 and stop short at around the five-yard line. Well, if I say that, you at least can sort of put it in your head. But you're, it demands of you as a listener to exercise your imagination a little bit because you can't see it. And in much the same way, you can't see the person talking to you. So you might visualize what they look like. 
if you're thinking about them talking and explaining something to you. So you might have this thought in your head. And for a long time, radio voices were just that. They were the people that would communicate to you what was happening, and they would become regular occurrences, especially uh, in different parts of the country. They became acquainted with them. And it's the same thing that happens. So uh, do you have anything else you want to add about that part? Because I'm about to go to the sports radio part. No, I, I just think obviously, you know, certain things work better than others. And I think it's obvious as to why, right? But it's still nice to be able to have the option. And I think this is why it's going to stay, at least in this aspect, is if you're driving from point A to point B, you want to hear the game, you know, especially if it's a big game and you just happen to have to be in the car, you know, sport broadcasts of sports games are, aren't going anywhere on the radio because of that reason. Yeah, it still serves a purpose. It still works in a certain degree. Sports radio is interesting to me because of kind of what I mentioned earlier. Because I said that now you've got all these new mediums. Now the question is, will the audience follow? Because it's a little bit trickier. It's almost, it's one thing to put on the radio station you're used to listening to. Because what sports radio had, I'll use the Fan 590 in Toronto as an example. What you had is that if you like the station, you could start right from the morning show. And they could be talking about a topic. And then maybe at lunchtime, you've got another host that's there doing the lunchtime show. And maybe they're talking about the same topic, but they're bringing in different guests. They're talking about different aspects of it. And then to Dave's point, if you're driving home, you put on the drive-in show. That's where the, the Bob McCowans of the world kicked in, heading into primetime. And then as you're going to primetime, you're in dinner time, you can have that on. You can be listening. So the Kawhi Watch could be a topic. I haven't listened to Fan 590 really consistently in a long time. But the Kawhi Leonard topic could be a topic for a whole day different hosts could take their stabs at it and bring their own guests to talk about different angles on it one thing though that as a good host you'd have to do is even if we're all talking about the same topic we shouldn't be hitting on the exact same points because if somebody is listening throughout the day we want your angle on it what's your slightly different perspective do you have a crazy theory out of left field like what is it and then it becomes it takes on the debate element whether it's uh, panelists you're bringing in to talk about the different topics, reporters from different areas to get their angle on it, or doing call-in. If you're doing call-in, is a whole different perspective because whoever you're calling in isn't, isn't a professional radio person, and sometimes their stuff is very much fan-related. So you can have that interactive element where you might have you know, the seven-second delay or 20-second delay to keep something objectionable for making air, but you don't know what you're going to get when you agree to take Bob from Timmins or whatever. When you take in that radio call host, even sorry, that radio caller, whatever happens from then on in, you don't know what you're expecting to. So as a host, you have to pretty much be prepared for anything. Be prepared to almost counter anything or hear anything and with no expectation of what's going to happen. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that's a certain skill set because I can relate to it uh, having worked for years in a call center. You don't know what's coming on the other end of the line. You know generally what's coming on the other end, but sometimes you can get thrown a curveball and you have to be able to respond. Whatever way you need to respond. And you have to keep in mind where you are and who you're talking to and who's listening. And that's always and that's always a part and partial. That's part of the challenge. And that's why I always thought it was interesting. And I feel like in certain ways, and I mentioned it in a previous episode, in some ways podcast has kind of taken that away. Not because it's a bad thing. It's the on-demand nature of it is really good. But then it becomes... You become really focused in on timely content. Like we can record this episode, the section talking about radio and sports, 
that can be, I, we could replay that six months from now, and I don't think our premise is going to change. But the Kawhi Leonard stuff in six months might not be as relevant. Maybe we're right, maybe we're wrong, but we're going to have moved on to whatever the next thing is. The timeliness means the, the shelf life on it is very short, and that's, all, and that's why sports radio existed, because, all right, we're talking about it today, but tomorrow we're talking about the other thing. Because if that's what people want to talk about, we're moving on. If you didn't hear it yesterday, you didn't hear it. We're moving on to the new thing. Yeah. So that's kind of what always comes into it, and that's always what I thought about. And it's interesting because there's still a little bit of carryover because we've, we've referenced Stephen A. Smith, and in addition to all the stuff he does for ESPN, he also does a radio show. You've got Will Kane, who does a radio show. I believe Max Kellerman does a radio show. So you've got all these personalities that you see on television doing shows for ESPN are also on the ESPN radio network. In much the same way TSN, you've got similar kind of things. You've got this cross-branding because you're trying to capture both of these audiences. But I feel, but the it's going to be interesting to see in the long run how much longer the radio element is going to keep carrying on. There will be a place for it, but the question is going to be, is a 24-hour you know sports radio station still have a place when do you really have 24 hours worth of stuff to talk about? Well, yeah, and I think I think the other thing is, as I told you, and I, I did allude to this and talk about it a little bit last week, is the new prevalence or or how these up and coming, well, not really up and coming now, I guess, but the satellite radio stations. So where you have the NFL network radio, you have MLB network radio, you have NBA radio, you have PGA radio, you know? So if you're someone who's really interested in one sport or a specifically relevant topic about one sport at a period of time, if you are a subscriber to satellite radio, well, then I can spend the whole day listening to the Kawhi Watch if I want, because that's what NBA radio has become right now, which is also really annoying. Uh, you know, or if I want to listen to just you know interviews with different baseball players and different topics about baseball without actually without actually listening to a game, I can put on MLB or sorry MLB Network Radio, right? Or I can listen to NHL Radio, or you know what I'm like, I just want to listen to golf and I don't care about anything other than golf. I put on PGA Radio, whereas. The sports radio on the over the AM dial, if you will, or FM, isn't talking about just one sport all day. You know, you may have your times where something is so big, you know, like for us, for example, in the Toronto market, a lot of the sports radio stations seem to be 24-7 Raptors or during the playoffs and now have become 24-7 Kawhi Watch. But previous to that, you're talking a lot of hockey. But you're also talking baseball, you know, sort of Toronto example, you're talking Blue Jays, you're talking, you want to talk about like pick another city, pick New York, right? You got the Mets, you got the Yankees. I don't know why I started with Mets. That's kind of weird. But you have the Rangers, you know, you have lots of things in the New York market that you can talk about lots of different sports, plus the other topics you would, you know, go through from time to time on a national level, right? So if Team USA is doing whatever in whatever, you've got that to talk about as well, right? Whereas I find that I'm not sure, but people's desire for content about a specific sport may trump saying like, for me, for example, and I, I'm somewhat guilty of this, I don't really care about hockey, right? So when I'm listening to, you know, Fan 590 or TSN radio, whether it's in Hamilton or in Toronto, I'm usually into or interested in most of what they're talking about. But when it starts becoming like, what should the least do with Mitch Marner? I, I don't care. I really don't. I don't like the Leafs, and I'm not a particularly big hockey fan. So, you know what? I'm probably going to tune into something else. And if I flip the dial to TSN and they're talking hockey too, then I'm going to satellite radio, and I'm probably not coming back. 
at least for a while. You know, I mean, not ever, but I'm talking about, you know, for the rest of that drive or whatever, I'm listening to something else. Cause I, and I think, I think that's playing a role in the way people are listening to the content now as well. I think there's an element of that. You're, you're alluding to one specific thing as well is that, the variety show aspect of sports radio, yes, they do get fixated on topics here and there when it's worthy, but they have to kind of cater to the local market. The uh, Fan 590 here and TSN 1050, they have to talk about Leafs talk a lot because in the Toronto market, the Leafs still sell. They still get eyeballs. They still get ears. So if you talk about the Leafs in July, the Raptors right now work because right now they're they're the hot topic. They're the hot ticket because they recently won a championship. And as far as championships are concerned in this area, like they're not coming by all the time. So if you're going to talk about something, you may as well talk about the new hotness because if if Kawhi goes somewhere else and the team is has to be blown up, then we're not going to be talking about them next year anyway. So then it'll be back to Leafs talk. But that's the local market. And your local market will vary on that. But the other thing that kind of happens is because of the variety show aspect of it where, yeah, not everyone who's listening – is going to want to hear about all these other things that they may not necessarily care about. But because of that, that's why I think that the the rise of the podcast and the niche nature of it, where you can t- hear about, if I just want to hear about the Green Bay Packers, there's a Green Bay Packers podcast. And I can listen to just that. And uh, Or if I want football in general, there's plenty of football podcasts. Or if I want to be more specific, yeah, I want to hear about football. I'd like to hear about the new XFL. Well, there's an XFL podcast. When the AF was around, there was AF podcasts. You can get super, super niche, even within the greater context of a specific sport. You can go as deep as you want to go right down to the team level. You can hear all about your team from your area, whatever the case may be. And you could spend all day just listening to that, if that's what you want. And the on-demand nature of it means it can still be, it can be evergreen, or it can be topical. It can be up to the minute. Hey, you know what? If the Packers did something, I can listen to the Packers podcast and get their angle on it. I can listen to the general NFL podcast and get their angle on it. I'm sure there's an Aaron Rodgers podcast somewhere. Like, you can do anything you want to narrow the scope as much as you want or stay as broad as you want. And that group of options, just having so many, kind of makes it interesting. And in a certain way, it takes a little bit of the luster off the radio version where it's like, yeah, okay, I'll listen to it. But it's a, bit of a, it's a bit of appointment viewing, and they've kind of skirted around this by saying, oh, no, no, but we've archived the episode. It's like, yeah, but you talked for two hours, and the thing I wanted was an hour two, 20 minutes in for about 10 minutes, and then a bunch of it was commercials, and then I got to skip all the way ahead to it to get to that one specific piece that I wanted to hear in a two-hour show. Mm-hmm. It's a bit tricky. Like it's hard for for radio to sell with it. It's like, no, I really want, and I wanted you to expand on that one topic that you talked about for only ten minutes out of a two hour block. And I can't blame them for doing it because they got to appeal to as many people as possible. But that's where the granularity of a podcast gives me a little bit of a different view. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward because I think people are getting more custom and acclimated. You know what? It's like television. I don't have to watch when you want me to watch. And I don't have to watch what you want me to watch. I have Netflix. I have Hulu. I have Amazon Prime. I have, you know, I can download a movie anytime I want. I don't have to watch what you want me to watch. Or I don't have to listen to what you want me to listen to. I can really pick and choose and listen to it when I feel like it. Yeah. And that on-demand nature is going to be a big thing, I think, going forward. And that's why those other media things are, are gaining traction. They've been gaining traction, but they're really coming into their own because... We're in a very different era, and I could very well see. I mentioned the Twitch thing. I could very well see a call-in sports radio show on Twitch. 
That would be interesting. I don't know if there is one, but if there is, that might be a market for somebody to corner. Or you could probably do it on YouTube and do a live broadcast that way. Get people to tune in and watch. And it's like, hey, would you like to give your opinion? People love giving. The reason sports radio and talk radio in general took off is because everybody loves to give their opinion, whether it's informed, whether it makes sense. Whatever the case may be, you want to give your two cents. And if everybody still wants to give their two cents, they just need a format to do it. The internet can bring that. And wouldn't you like to call into something in a different country or a different state and be able to yell at someone you don't know about a topic you might not understand? Yes, I would. Yep. And that's the way you... Even better if it's in a hastily thrown together format too. Yep. Well, worst case scenario, you make your own damn podcast and then I can say whatever I like. And that's how you do it. But anyway. So that's kind of uh, that's kind of where I'm at as far as the the radio thing is. I wanted to get your take on it a little bit, but you can kind of see we're we're curious because we both listened to it for a long time. I've kind of weaned myself off of it. It just doesn't hold the appeal for me anymore. It doesn't have enough because I can get my information so much faster in so many other ways. But Dave is still very much an adherence because at heart he's still an 80 year old man pining for the days of Vince Scully in his prime talking about the Dodgers in the 1950s, even though he didn't hear it originally. Correct. This is a fact. Yeah. So you can always think back to those times and you can have arguments about, do I like Gil Hodges or Jackie Robinson more? Pee Wee Reese or Duke Snyder? These are tough decisions. You know what? You know what? They are actually. Yeah, they are. Legit. They really are. Jackie's still the best. Ooh, bold move. I'm a Sandy Koufax guy myself. How dare you? Blasphemy. You're wrong, Dave, and here's why. Anyway. I think that covers that piece. Hopefully you enjoyed that little discussion on radio in sports that Dave and myself had a couple of weeks back. So as far as that's concerned, we'll probably have more to say on it in later time. It is kind of fun to have occasionally the evergreen conversation. We'll talk about the different, the changing landscape of sports media. And I really meant what I said as far as podcasts creating kind of an interesting situation where you've got the combination of timeliness, but there's also a place for more evergreen format. And this podcast episode really is a good encapsulation of that. It's a combination. As you're listening to me talking, I'm basically recording this only hours before the podcast is going to go up. But inside of the same podcast, we had something that we recorded weeks and weeks and weeks ago. So the two can kind of come together. And this format allows for that. Whereas, uh, you know, live radio doesn't always. Of course, you can go back to a pre-taped conversation during that. But it is a little bit awkward when you're doing a quote-unquote live broadcast and then suddenly you go to tape. Whereas in a podcast, it, the format just seems to be a little bit more conducive to it, given the on-demand nature of it. Because even if the conversation was timely, sometimes somebody will hear a podcast months or even years after. So, you know, kind of the, the discussion can reverberate over time. I'm not going to make it into a big grandiose thing, but it's just the reality of it. Whatever we're putting it on there, as soon as we put it out there into the ether, it's out there. So somebody can l- listen to this a year or two from now or five years, and if it's still on a server somewhere, they can hear it. And that really changes the context of the way that the the media and the content goes out there. So on that note, I'll leave you. But uh, normally this is where we will do, we would do the you know what you're looking forward to. Well, right now we're already at the end of the weekend, so I'm not going to get into that. I didn't get a chance to check out UFC 241 because normally I would advocate for the UFC card. But I do want to congratulate at the very end of this podcast, Stipe Miocic for defeating Daniel Cormier in the main event of UFC 241 to regain the UFC heavyweight championship. 
So that puts him as only one of a handful of folks to actually regain the heavyweight championship, joining Randy Couture, Tim Sylvia, and Cain Velasquez in the record books. So that's just some fairly elite company. And Daniel Cormier has proven himself to be a legend in the UFC. So defeating him is no small task, and he ended up complete, uh, beating him by TKO in, in the fourth round. So definitely that's a fight I want to check out. If you are a UFC fan or mixed martial arts fan in general, and for some reason you didn't see the card, Check it out on a replay of some kind, uh, or if you have UFC Fight Pass, you know it'll it'll take a couple of months, but you'll be able to go and check it out. Sometimes it's fun for me to go back and check out some cards because I don't always have the means to be able to buy every single pay per view. I don't do this for a living, but uh, if I did, I wouldn't mind being able to check out all the different cards. But there are so many good cards that are on quote unquote free TV that sometimes it's hard to justify. I can I can sympathize with someone who finds it hard to justify paying sixty dollars a pop when there's you know, mega fights to be done. And as exciting as Stephen Miocic and Daniel Cormier is on paper, and also the return of Nate Diaz, which was a successful return for him. But as exciting as that is, there are some mega cards on the horizon. And usually UFC is pretty good towards the end of the year of putting some together. So it's kind of you kind of want to hold back a little bit to wait for the mo- that opportunity to go and check out. Uh, usually it was a pretty stacked December card. And that's still months away, but something to keep in the back of your mind because usually they save some good stuff for that time period. Big returns or, you know, big rematches or whatever may come from this particular year of the UFC. So I'll leave it at that. As always, thank you for listening. We appreciate any feedback or any comments that we receive. And we will catch you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.